Hey there. Today on this solo episode of Entrepreneur Empire, we're going to talk about 10 examples of successful entrepreneurship stories and how those can apply in your world. You're listening to another episode of Entrepreneur Empire, the podcast where we talk about the most needed concept of choosing to be an entrepreneur and how it is an important need and one that might be a better fit for some people. We talk to inspiring and successful business people who maybe have played on both sides of the fence and turn the experience and wins they gain as an employee into an exciting entrepreneurial venture. Or maybe they decided that being the number two or three inside of an organization gives them everything they need to be successful, stable, and lead the life they want. Go back to the garage in the house that someone else built. Advice, stories, tips, ideas, entrepreneur empire, dreamers who do. Here's your host, Craig Powell. Hey, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of Entrepreneur Empire. This is going to be a solo episode. Uh, it's one that I'm not going to have a guest on for this one, but we are going to have a, a great discussion nonetheless and uh, hopefully convey some value that you can take away. And the topic of what we're going to cover on this show is actually from an article uh, that's been circulating around the internet for a little while. Uh, back when I first got the idea of wanting to start to put out content and eventually do a show about entrepreneurship, uh, it's an article that I found relatively quickly when I started searching for for content that might be out there. And it was originally published uh, in September of 2014 by Richard Neese on his Wired.com blog. And uh, it's one that I actually had put on my blog uh, and on the website for Entrepreneur Empire, uh, giving credit to him for that. And that's really the topic that we're going to talk about today. So these are 10 uh, stories about some companies, and, and I think they're more what I would consider the famous examples of entrepreneurship that uh, anybody who takes any amount of time uh, learning about it or, or looking into it, these are the stories that are talked about the most. So they might have been ones you've heard, they might not have been, but uh, what I'm going to do is we're just going to run through that list today, going to give you the quick synopsis about what happened there, and uh, and then maybe see if we can uh, pick out a little bit of information on each one that, that we might be able to apply in our own uh, world. So uh, that's what it is about. And uh, this this article gives the, the caveat about the term entrepreneur as, a, as how it starts out there, um, which of course was coined back in 1978 by Guilford Pin. I'm going to butcher the name, but it's Guilford uh, Pinchot III, uh, again 1978. And he wrote a paper uh, with his wife Elizabeth and uh, coined that term there. And so academically, that seems to be the first time that the term entrepreneur uh, was kind of put out there and then circulated in the uh, academia space uh, originally, based off of that term. Uh, but then it was popularized later on, then in 1985, uh, famously by Steve Jobs, who was conducting an interview with Newsweek. Uh, and in there, he actually told a story and referred to the Macintosh team um, as entrepreneurs. And in that, uh, he, he said a group of people going, in essence, back to the garage, but in a large company. And, um, and of course, if you've listened to, to the episodes of the show thus far or read any of the content we put out, um, you see the spirit of what he said there in, in some of what we're trying to achieve here at Entrepreneur Empire, which is going back to the garage in the house that somebody else built. And he went on in that, uh, it doesn't say it in this article, but uh, he also went on in that same interview to refer to them as dreamers who do. 
which I just really love, and, uh, and it is, of course, the, the tagline of Entrepreneur Empire is dreamers who do. So that's where that came from. But, um, you know, since then, the, the term entrepreneur has continued to be used uh, off and on, but I'd say uh, recently, within the last, uh, you know, five, six, seven years, you, you can really start to see it be incorporated uh, into some books that were coming out by some people. Um, it kind of got spun a little bit into the term corporate entrepreneur, which, uh, which is synonymous with entrepreneur because uh, it is essentially the same thing of you being an entrepreneur inside of another company. Um, so they are interchangeable, but sometimes it is referred to as that. But um, as we've discussed with the, with the interviews we've already conducted on this show, the ones we have lined up and coming up very soon, um, we, we like to discuss stories and hear from people who uh, maybe are entrepreneurs currently, Maybe they have great success stories and, and experiences they gained as entrepreneurs in the past, and then they've spun that out now into businesses and entrepreneurial journeys for themselves, but still very much value um, the entrepreneur route that they took in the past and saw value from it there. So um, so these stories, these 10 examples uh, are from companies, very big companies in most of these cases. Um that had uh, you know hundreds, if not thousands, of employees, um, and and in those environments, you know, you it very quickly becomes where everybody uh, has a number and and needs to stay in their lane and only do their thing. And so, uh, when when companies get very big like that, uh, that is of course the frustrations that we hear in the stories and things we talk about here of not being able to have control over changing it. But these are some some great examples of where people did take the initiative to come up with an idea, to be the champion of that idea, to um, take hold of that and really um, be the one to bring it to fruition. And then the company benefited from it. You know, the company very much benefited from it. And the really cool thing is that a lot of these instances is after they saw the value in that the company did the right thing by reallocating uh, the freedom and the resources uh, in order for these people to act in that role as being an entrepreneur. So, uh, of course, companies, you know, innovation um, sometimes gets uh, hindered because there's not room for those people to go outside of their job description. So, um, in a lot of ways, though, just like in the Steve Jobs example, it might be that what they come up with could be that next big product like the Macintosh or iPad or iPhone, uh, to, to use that as an example. So uh, let's get into it. These are the examples of those companies that, that did allow their employees uh, to create those ideas and bring them to light, and then both the employee and the company ended up reaping great benefits from doing that. So to start it out, the very first one on the list is from Lockheed Martin, and this is one that uh, is, is arguably one of the most famous uh, examples of entrepreneurship. This is the famous Skunk Works project, which Skunk Works was just another name for the ADP, which was the Advanced Development Programs, and uh, not not talked about in this article specifically, uh, but pulled from Lockheed Martin's website. Uh, they they go in some great detail there and talk about uh, Clarence Kelly Johnson, who was uh, the founder of the Skunk Works project, the one that headed it up. And uh, uh, he was really really uh, young. He was like 28 years old whenever he he started uh, working, or he'd been working there at. Lockheed and and uh, he'd been hired there and six years earlier to when this project started and uh, he had walked in 
when he was hired to his new boss's office, it says, and he was pointed to the company's promising new aircraft, which was a called the Electra, uh, and he immediately revealed a, a critical instability and then proceeded to correct the errors, and it, it amazed you know the people at the company. And he had a really great motto, which was, be quick, be quiet, and be on time. And um, so heading up those skunk works, he, he was actually allowed to work uh, with a small focus team uh, as an autonomous organization, kind of the company within a company route. And uh, skunk works would go on to create some of the most innovative aircraft models, including the world's very first spy plane. Um, and then ultimately, uh, they also created the SR-71 Blackbird. So, uh, you know, Johnson is kind of the penultimate uh, entrepreneur in that way because um, he was able to identify a need, take core products. I mean, in this case, this is millions of dollars of development uh, and, and point the path on the way the company needed to go. So he, he innovated like uh, a CEO or like an entrepreneur would do in changing an industry. Uh, and they didn't fight back in that case. So that was very smart on them in order to do that. Instead, they, you know, they allocated support and resources and they allowed his division to thrive in that way. And they learned from that, that successful entrepreneurship happens whenever the they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to uh, innovate and develop and listen to those things. And uh, the company, uh, you know, was redefined by what Johnson and his team was able to do. The success happens when the teams are allowed to lay out the vision of what they want, and you're given the power to modify and innovate and. Um, not have to be stifled by the the red tape of the corporate world of having to get approvals for this and go through all these layers of stuff in order to get stuff done. So sometimes those big innovations uh, need to be modified through a development like that instead of through uh, the you know that established system. So uh, the next one on the list is Texas Instruments, of course the uh, the famous. Uh, technology developer who's had their hand in many, many things over the years. But um, at Texas Instruments, there was a researcher named Lori Horn, excuse me, Larry Hornbeck, uh, and he'd been experimenting with uh, technology where he was taking, uh, redirecting protons and photons. He was redirecting photons using tiny mirrors, and he was doing that for something like a decade. But in 1987, Hornbeck, uh, he developed the Digital Micro Mirror Device, or DMD for short, and they used it for printing airline tickets uh, first. But after that, it, uh, Texas Instruments realized they wanted to start an internal venture called Digital Imaging, Digital Imaging Venture Project uh, to expand on the efforts of that uh, development. So a long time, uh, video projectors, uh, they weighed the equivalent to a small child and they cost upwards of $15,000. So if you can remember the, the big video projectors uh, back in the day, they were very huge, very expensive, uh, cumbersome things to, to operate and very expensive to buy. Uh, Hornbeck actually realized that the technology, it would be able to greatly decrease the size and the cost of the digital projector. Uh, and soon the industry reacted. It became a standard within the industry, what he ended up inventing and implementing there. So he actually went on to receive an Emmy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Engineering Development. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good accomplishment there. That's uh, some renown that you can hang your hat on, and it all came 
because of what he did, you know, as an entrepreneur. So, I mean, something like that could easily be a story that you would hear as a startup, you know, somebody coming up with an invention like that that goes on to uh, to greatly change a product um, is something that normally you would equate to a new company, a new startup. But in this case, it happened inside of a of an existing, very large, established company. The next one on the list is the Massachusetts Department of Correction. And this is kind of a cool one because uh, this came from, from an employee that uh, maybe you know does a very, very important job, a very respectable, important job, but is, I guess you could say, down on the food chain quite a bit. So there was a guard that was actually uh, working there, and he suggested a change in the way that they stored their photo libraries of inmates. Um, normally they'd take pictures with film and they'd store them in the old-fashioned way. So they had uh, this labor, laborsome process of uh, storing this and, and having to catalog you know, those assets that way. Uh, and he came up with a change that uh, you know, seems like common sense, but something that had never been implemented before suggesting it, and that was why not use digital cameras and uh, then a software database to store those images and catalog them and be able to search them. So... Um, the benefit of this ended up being that the, the Department of Corrections in Massachusetts, they have 16 correctional facilities. So uh, b- implementing this uh, based on the suggestion, um, they saved $56,000 in the first year that they implemented this um, and most likely uh, cut way down on the, the unquantifiable things such as uh, labor and just all of those processes that come along with that that you know they had savings for. Uh, but maybe don't know exactly what that is. So um, I think that that's just a really cool one because it's, you know, most businesses uh, can get out of their own way sometimes. And once they develop a, a process and a system, they they get stuck in that like a rut and they just keep moving along. And, and sometimes they don't step away. And, uh, you know, you have a fresh set of eyes to be able to look at how things are doing to say, is this still the best way that uh, to do what we do you know is it still the right method or is there a better way and so this is an instance where somebody uh, came up with that suggested it and they implemented it and that small idea you know it it turned into a sweeping innovation uh, for them because it proved to be beneficial uh, from a dollars and cents standpoint as well so the next one uh, is a company called wl gore and uh, most people probably know that as uh, Gore-Tex Fabric. Um, they would give their employees uh, about 10% of their work day uh, to develop new ideas. So this is actually one where they were encouraging it. They'd set up a process um, to work on developing new ideas and personal projects, and uh, they referred to it as dabble time. So uh, it, out of this process, there was an employee called Dave Myers, and he identified that uh, one of their products which was a coating for push-pull cables called EPTFE. Um, he, he noticed that it could be used uh, to make guitar strings more comfortable. So, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting one, and, uh, and he discovered that, and then the coated strings, they proved to be uh, marginally more comfortable but kept the tone longer than the conventional guitar strings. So um, they, W.L. Gore, launched them under a new brand name called Elixir Strings. And uh, as of at least the time of this article, they are the number one selling acoustic guitar string 
so that's a pretty impressive one as well. Um, that's quite a pivot there. So that's that's obviously not something that they were even thinking about going in. Uh, they weren't existing doing existing business in that space and weren't even thinking about it, but because of the encouragement and the, the environment that they created. That's what I really like about that story is that they had the, um, the foresight to realize that the possibility for innovation could come from the employees. And so they, not, they encouraged it. They blocked aside time. They actually uh, you know, put that out there uh, as being okay. So that's a really cool one um, of a success that can come out of that space. And uh, the next one on the list, number five, uh, is probably a company you've heard of, uh, Google, uh, who just like the example we gave with W.L. Gore, uh, they also set up that type of a um, personal dabble time uh, where people are encouraged to work on projects. And um, some of Google's best projects, the really, really famous ones um, that have become core products and, and successful products for them, uh, came out of that you know, policy that they have. And in their case, it was a uh, 20% time policy, um, where, where they can allocate that. And, um, one of these that we're going to talk about here, uh, is one that I know I use daily and I'm, uh, so many people do, and that is Gmail. Um, the creator of Gmail was, uh, Paul. And again, I apologize uh, for this name, but, uh, Paul Bouchette. Um, he started a project in 2001, and he ended up working on it all the way up through its launch in April of 2004. And Gmail, it became, if you remember back then, it was the first email with a successful search feature uh, and had the option to keep all of your email, um, which at that time, like a one gigabyte of storage, which uh, was pretty amazing compared to everything else that people were used to at the time. You know, it started out obviously stored locally on your computer, so it was subject to how much hard drive space you had in the computer, but then ultimately uh, when stuff even moved online, it was very low. So coming out with a gig, and, and it's even more now in a lot of cases, uh, you know, used to the, the reality was you had to frantically delete emails all the time to not hit that limit that you had. So um, that uh, that launch, the initial launch was by invite only, and it, uh, I remember it myself. Um, I was able to score one uh, through some connections that I had, and it was a hot commodity and so um, you know handing out those invitations was was quite the thing to get one but now it's considered um, you know still the leader I mean and and it's uh, not only respectable but almost expected in some instances that that you use Gmail um, you know if not for uh, directly with a Gmail address uh, so many so many places use uh, the Gmail, uh, they power their email, their uh, d domain email with, with those Gmail services. So that's a, a smashing success that um, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I'm sure uh, has been a huge um, uh, success for Google in that way. So number six on the list is from Shutterstock. And um, Shutterstock actually, every year, they host an annual hackathon. So instead of it being a uh, you know, a thing internally that with their employees ongoing. They do a, a once-a-year event, a hackathon, and that spans 24 hours, uh, and then but also includes four hours of demo presentations at the end of that process. The challenges, uh, they're designed to allow their employees to pursue any ideas that they have um, that they think then can uh, ultimately lead to improving the company. 
So they encourage collaboration and creativity, innovation in this process. So there have been some uh, amazing, awesome ideas that have come out of these hackathons um, that have saved the company money, increased their revenue, improved uh, the processes in general. So some of the, those projects that were born out of the hackathons included Spectrum, which was a user experience tool that allowed people to search through Shutterstock only using color. So that's kind of a cool innovation there. One also called Oculus, which was a data analysis tool that came out the 2012 hackathon. And it's something now that's been integrated and used at Shutterstock every single day. Again, that's kind of a cool one and uh, a one that, that's a little um, the same concept of allowing the, the innovation uh, time for employees to work on stuff, but instead of it being ongoing, it's just a uh, an annual event. So same concept, but a little um, uh, coming at it from a different way. So number seven is 3M. And uh, in this case, it's it's something that turned out to be a smashing success, but actually uh, happened by accident. So there was a scientist at 3M, Dr. Spencer Silver, and uh, he was attempting to create something for the aerospace technology industry that, that would prove to be an extremely strong adhesive. But in that process, instead, he accidentally created a lighter adhesive that stuck to surfaces well and didn't leave a nasty residue. So that's pretty different than what he set out to do but that's what he ended up with and instead of throwing it away because it wasn't you know ultimately what he set out for uh, he actually decided to stick with it and he found a use for it so it took some persistence and spreading the word around and many many years but it uh, it finally clicked with with somebody else who was Art Fry which was another 3M scientist and uh, he thought back to, to one of Silver's seminars that he gave, and they began to develop the product together. And out of that, Post-it notes were actually born. And uh, that's something that uh, <laughs> I definitely use every single day and, and have uh, a lot of those stuck in a lot of places, um, which is a scary picture into my mind sometimes. And uh, I'm sure that most people use those as well a lot. So that's a really cool one. I mean, that's a, a household item or at the very least a, an office item that is just everywhere. And it's almost hard to imagine um, not having the post-it notes there. And they came out of a, out of an accident by somebody working inside a company as large as 3M. So a pretty cool one. Number eight on the list is Sun Microsystems. Uh, and this one was a developer there at Sun. Um, he had almost left Sun in 1995 um, because he thought they were missing out on uh, the fast-growing PC consumer market of that time. And this employee, Patrick Naughton, uh, he was actually convinced to stay, and uh, he helped Sun set up a, a dedicated group uh, to go after that consumer market. And this is where a group member, James Gosling, um, he created a, an object-oriented, elegant uh, programming language called Oak, and uh, that product eventually was uh, renamed Java. So um, this was initially created to uh, be put on Time Warner cable boxes specifically, um, but uh, in the process of that, that deal actually fell through, and Bill Joy, who was the co-founder of Sun, um, Java, he realized it was very valuable, though, and that it could be, uh, you know, different platforms could have it be implemented across all of, all of them. So um, you might know that Sun, of course, merged then with Oracle, but Java has continued on even through that merger, and 
it it runs so so many devices and 930 million java runtime environment downloads each year uh and three billion mobile phones run on java so uh, if that's not an idea and that led to a product that that literally changed the world in some way, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's on devices and it's on things that that we don't think about a lot, but we interface and use it so much that that's just an amazing innovation that actually had a, a far-reaching impact um, that came because of an entrepreneur. Number nine on the list, uh, Ken Kataragi, who was an employee. Uh, a junior employee at Sony. Um, he had spent hours tinkering with a Nintendo that was his daughter's, and he was trying to make it uh, more user-friendly and also more powerful. And um, what came out of this tinkering and experimenting is it turned out to be one of the most recognizable brands in the world today, and that is, of course, the Sony PlayStation. So actually there were a lot of higher-ups and bosses that were pretty mad uh, at Ken, they were outraged at what he'd done, and um, they thought that the gaming was a waste of time, and you know he shouldn't have been um, uh, using resources to to even work on stuff like that. But there was somebody else that was in a senior position. They saw the product and and they saw value in it, and obviously that was the right decision because now Sony is one of the world leaders uh, in the gaming industry, which has proved to be so prosperous and continues to grow year over year. So. You know, this is one where they didn't have an environment necessarily that was encouraging that kind of innovation, um, but obviously they should because this is something they could have missed out on completely if nobody would have helped champion the cause of what Ken was doing, and uh, it turned into a product that that some may say arguably helped, uh, if not quite save Sony, continue to uh, increase its value and, and make it relevant in so many ways. So no matter how far-fetched and out there and, you know, different than your core product or service something is, it might be that if it makes sense, you know, a good idea is a good idea and you got to let those good ideas win sometimes. So no matter how far out there, uh, it may be worth taking a look at. And finally, number 10 on the list is Facebook. And uh, this is one, it's again, something else that, uh, Everybody knows Facebook, of course. Everybody knows Mark Zuckerberg. They've watched the movie. They use Facebook every day of their life. Uh, but there's something that uh, also you're used to using that you might not know didn't come from Mark Zuckerberg. It came from somebody else on the team that was uh, a little down further on the list. And it was originally called the Awesome Button, but uh, eventually was then called the Facebook Like button and uh, it was prototyped in one of Facebook's infamous hackathons so this is another example where um, uh, Facebook and I think they they depicted this briefly in the social network movie but they had uh, regularly would have these hackathons where there would be a concept or something put out there that try to do this and you know it's uh, was time-based and everything and and they would um, let people have a contest and, and hack away at trying to uh, to do whatever the objective was. And, and this is something that actually came out of that. So um, they've never really released the statistics uh, based on the like rate or in certain time frames or all that. But uh, uh, it's pretty evident how the invention of the like book or like button affects us, you know, on a daily basis. It's something we use all the time. Of course, it's continued now to be changed to where it's not just the like, but you've got other emoticons and things like that. But, uh, um, you know, Facebook is, is constantly innovated and they constantly change and they're always coming out with new stuff. But uh, 
great ideas and products even in those fast moving companies that are known for that sometimes still come from from not the the people you think they come from inside there they come from letting employees experiment and play and think about things and develop those kinds of things and um, you know that works differently for every company but uh, I think that's a pretty cool one there that uh, that came out of that so you know, uh, wrapping this up, uh, there's some there's some common themes and threads that, that we can take away from this there. Uh, uh, if you have your own company or if you're in management of a company and you uh, have sway to start the conversation about what do you need to do in order to encourage people to embrace the role of being an entrepreneur and uh, maybe coming up with new products or services or or modifying and changing existing products and services to make them better. How do you make them feel like it's okay for them to do that? You know, it's okay to bring up suggestions and ideas and not not hoard those away or be scared to share them because it's not their place or whatever. And um, as you can see, the theme in several of these companies, uh, sometimes what works is that you you dedicate some time, either ongoing, like a twenty percent time rule at some organizations or annual events like a hackathon maybe you make it quarterly um you know the, the concept there is the same so you'd have to figure out what works in your world and your organization but maybe you uh, at the very very least if you don't start out with dedicated time you at least need to create the kind of culture that you embrace that as a goal where you engage the employees you create some kind of system uh, where they can submit that information, they can do those sort of internal pitches about what their idea is. And uh, I mean, l really, what do you have to lose in that way? Uh, you know, at the very least, it gets the employee more connected with their job. You know, it makes them feel like they're contributing. I think it gives them value and that they're helping the company. And then ultimately, from the company standpoint, I mean, it's going to be something you could uh, could literally revolutionize your business. It could be, you know, a very profitable product or service that can make you uh, that much more money ongoing. So um, I think it's really it literally is a win win, and I think it's something that more and more people uh, as employees and especially people who who identify as an entrepreneur or a corporate entrepreneur, I think that it's something they're looking for in companies. So. Uh, it would work the other way, too, if you are a company that is looking to bring smart people on board to help with your product or service, and you don't create a kind of environment that allows for the engagement and, um, and, and working on innovative ideas, uh, then you might not be able to get the kind of people that you're wanting because uh, they want to go somewhere where those kinds of environments exist. So that's a good thing to keep in mind just on the overall feel of your company. So I hope you guys liked this today. I, I think I'm going to try to do more of these types of things where we take a story, uh, you know, give you the background on it and just hash out, like, what can we pull from that? Like, what kind of success and uh, examples that can we get from that and then apply those to our own world? Because we can look to other people um, and not have to always feel like we have to figure everything out on our own. We can look to things that came before and, uh, and then take those and, and move forward. So hope you found value in that there. Uh, make sure and uh, keep tuned now. We've got more um, interviews coming very, very soon. We've got some other content coming down uh, very quickly, and, and I think you're going to find value in that. So uh, thank you guys again, and we'll talk to you again next time on another Entrepreneur Empire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Entrepreneur Empire. 
I appreciate and I value your attention and I hope that this was something that helps you in your world. Look, the best way that you can help with the show is to rate it with five stars and leave a review for me on the iTunes store. Also, make sure and share it with other people who you think would enjoy being involved in this discussion. For more related content, make sure and visit entrepreneurempire.com. Like the Entrepreneur Empire page on Facebook and follow me personally on both Twitter and Instagram at Craig C. Powell for regular news, inspiration, and information and the quote of the day breakdown video series. Until next time, stay humble and hustle hard.